Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This episode is brought to you by Green Skies Analytics, an audit analytics service provider that works with internal audit departments that have data analysts and are still frustrated with trying to make analytics actually work, aren't getting the expected ROI, who can't break through the communication barrier between the analysts and the audit team, and those that need experienced direction for an audit analytics strategy and process. Those that feel like they've wasted time and money on trainings, aren't getting the value they want, not prioritizing the highest risk areas for the organizations, or have projects that seemingly never get completed. Do you deal with any of that? If you do, go to the show notes of this episode and click the Green Skies Analytics link, or go to greenskiesanalytics.com to schedule a call and understand how Green Skies Analytics makes analytics actually work for internal audit. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Audit Podcast. Today, we wanted to take a few minutes and go through some of the themes relative to the questions that were asked during the 2023 Audit Analytics Conference. For those that didn't attend or aren't aware, this is a two-day virtual conference with, I think this year we had over 19 speakers. So it's basically seven speakers a day or seven sessions a day. And this year we had 19 different speakers cover those sessions, all things related to analytics, internal audit, automation, any, any topic that falls within that. And so what I did was I saved down the chat from both days and then looked at the common questions that were asked and then kind of grouped those into themes. What's somewhat almost disappointing is that there's some questions that are still being asked or or thematically they're still being asked year over year over year, but we did want to address those. And so with that, we'll jump into some of the most common questions that we received. And for those that didn't attend the conference, minus the CPE, you get some, uh, some free guidance. So here we go. By far, the two most common questions we got during the conference are the slides going to be available for this? And have we posted the CPE poll yet? If you attended, now's a good time to reiterate the slides will be available for those uh, speakers that wish to share their slides and we'll make those available as soon as possible once we've got them all. And yes, all the CPE polls have closed. Those are done. There's no more CPE polls. All right, in all seriousness, one of the common questions that we got, and this is, I said, some of these have been asked multiple times over the years. This one, not so much, but it was asked throughout and it didn't really seem to matter what the topic was. This was a question that was asked multiple times. A lot of people wanted to know what's the size of your internal audit team versus the size of your data analytics team. And so typically what we see is anywhere from about eight to 12% of your team should be data analytics folks or representative of your team. So if you have 30, eight to 12, we'll call it 10. I usually just say 10 would be three because you have 30. So we say three and typically we'll round it up. So if you have 15, 10%, 1.5, round that up to two. That's what we've seen anecdotally. Anyway, we don't have any, um, we don't have a, a poll around this to speak to it, but just what we see in the field, other folks that we've talked to, to get their thoughts on it. Also, that's what we typically see as we have a relatively high performing data analytics function with a, you know, 10% of the total team is representative of that. We also got asked, how do you evaluate ROI of your DA efforts? 
And my question back was, how do you evaluate the ROI of your internal audit efforts? For the most part, you, you should be the same question. And I say for the most part, because where we can measure something that's a little bit different that we can do with data automation tech is on the efficiencies gained internally. And so we can automate things. We can use analytics to do that also get full population testing where historically we haven't, and you can automate that to a degree. And so you can gain efficiencies through doing that. But for the most part, data analytics supports the internal audit initiatives or in this, this question, the internal audit efforts. And so it should be the same type of measurement. And my challenge would be, how are you measuring your ROI of the internal audit efforts? Or are you even measuring that? Do you have some way to measure that outside of number of issues we found or, or something along those lines? Like, what is it that you really care about, especially as the audit leader? What is it that you really actually care about? Insights, whatever that might be, how are you measuring that? Or are you even measuring that? There was one team and they presented this year, they were they were new to the conference. And as soon as they pulled up the slide showing the tools that they use, I knew we were about to go sideways in a good way to a degree. Tools is probably the most popular topic that we have. As soon as someone mentions a tool, the chat just starts to light up. We had to intervene a couple of years ago when we first had the conference because someone said, one of the speakers said, we use this tool and it's great and wonderful. And in the chat, somebody just started going to town on them on why their tool was better and they like their tool better. And so all that to say, when it comes to tools, if you don't have a plan in place to use the tool, then do not buy the tool yet. It's similar to, I think about, there's a lot of different software SaaS tools for strategies and how you can document your strategies and tie them together and all that great strategic initiatives that, and all those great strategic initiatives that you have. But if you buy a tool first to help implement, to help govern, to help provide visibility into your strategy, but you don't have a strategy to put in the tool, then you're trying to learn the tool itself and how it works, which strategy tools significantly easier to learn than a data analytics tool if you're not familiar with them. And then you're also formulating your strategy at the same time. And so it's a pretty bad idea to do that. Similar with, if you think about maybe a better analogy, audit management systems, audit board and the like, you need to have a system in place, a process in place, and then put it into the tool instead of learning the tool as well as trying to figure out what your audit processes are. Now, obviously, if you have an audit process, which I would assume everyone listening does, then putting it in the tool, there's tons of benefits and, and things that will happen as you learn the tool and you go, oh yeah, we haven't really done it like this before. The tool allows us to do it like this and you can tweak it and make it more effective, more efficient. But overall, when it comes to tools, understand what you're, how you're going to use the tool first, then buy the tool. I'm not sure how this tied into the data analytics piece of this, but it was a question in the chat and I wanted to speak to it. So I'm going to. The question was how many audits are on your yearly audit plan? And aside from if you are a SOX, you know, we do SOX 100% of the time or something like that, it doesn't really matter. This is significantly more a quality over quantity type of profession when it comes to the number of audits on your yearly audit plan. Who, If you do 100 audits, who cares? If it doesn't tie to strategic objectives, what difference does it make? Or if you're testing these low-risk areas and you have a, a ton of findings around that, do you really think the board cares? 
or your stakeholders care about that. Another popular question was around if we do 100% testing, what's the approach after that? And this is again where we kind of have to separate two areas. If it's a SOX thing, before you even test something 100%, you need to talk to your external auditors and walk them through, this is how we're going to do it. If we have these results, consider worst case scenario, what is the approach that we need to take from your perspective? Because what you definitely don't want to do is put all this time and effort into testing 100%, and then you find, you know, you test 100,000 transactions, and you find 7,000 issues with one attribute, or you find whatever, 200 issues with a given attribute, and then you take it to them, and they go, yeah, we don't really have guidance around that, so why don't you just go take a sample of 25, or whatever their guidance says. And so put a plan together, but then you really need to get approval at the partner level to say, yep, this is okay. We can rely on that. If this happens, this is how we approach it. The other scenario is if it's for a non-SOX related or regulatory even control, then what's the approach there? We have 10,000 transactions. We found 600 issues with this one attribute. What do we do there? Do we root calls all 600? What's the approach there? And so kind of best practice right now is take a sample of your issues and work through those the same way you would work through a sample of, uh, you know, if your guidance says take 25% or 25, then take 25 of the issues that you had and summarize those based on root calls. Um, there is also questions around, should the data team do that? Should the, what I just have always called the assurance team, so the non-data folks, should they do that? And that's really a judgment call. It's largely based on resource constraints and things of those uh, things of that nature. Um, but overall, it's very much a judgment call. And it's one of those things, again, where you need to have in your documentation, in your procedures, your policies and procedures, your sampling guidance, that needs to be understood and documented before you get into that situation to save yourself a lot of uh, time and heartache also. Likely the most unusual or unexpected question that made this list. And I just thought it was fascinating, if nothing else. So we had someone speak to data visualizations and how to present them. And it was awesome. So good. One of the things that came out of that was someone asked, what are your preferred fonts? I've never really given fonts that much um, consideration or thought. I just know that there's some that I, the defaults I rarely liked, and so I always end up changing them. But what was interesting was we talk a lot when we talk about data visualizations and telling your story with data about making it easy on the brain to interpret whatever it is. And so having a ton of colors, like uh, the rainbow threw up on your visualization, pretty, pretty terrible idea. Having tick marks all over the place, having anything that takes away from what the story is that you're trying to tell can be an issue. And so what I thought was interesting was the more you go into detail on this, and there's entire books just on color scheme that you should use uh, and things of that nature. And so what I thought was interesting, somebody asked that question and I thought it was just going to be, well, I like this one versus this one because it just appeals to my eyeballs for whatever reason. But it's a, a little more scientific than that, the answer was. And so the answer was go with sans serif font over serif font. So that's serif, S-E-R-I-F, 
and then sans serif, S-A-N-S-S-E-R-I-F. The reason I spell those out, Google that real quick, sans versus sans serif, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. So on serif, there is what was referred to as these flares on the letters. And on sans serif, there are no flares. And if you're like, dude, what are you talking about? You're going to have to Google this one. Um, but the point being, if we think about that idea of less is more, make it easy on the eyes, make it easy on the brain to interpret, the flares just add additional work for your brain when you see them in there. And so the simplest font would be sans serif. So take a quick look at that, sans versus sans serif. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Never realized that would uh, impact me in the way it did, but I thought it was I thought it was cool, if nothing else, how detailed we can get into really the science of data visualizations and telling our stories. Last one, and this has been a common theme throughout the past three years that we've done the conference, as well as audit analytics teams that we talk to in general. But it's, hey, okay, internal audit, you built this tool. Maybe it's continuous monitoring, but you built a continuous monitoring tool. Now you hand it over to management. What does that look like? How do we address potential independence issues? What if they use it as the control? We can't develop something that they use as the control. And by and large, there isn't any necessarily hard and fast guidance around it. It's more of a judgment call. And I've seen it from every end of the spectrum. I talked to one CAE and I said, what do you want from your audit analytics program? And he said, I want to build continuous monitoring and hand it over to management and I want them to have it. And I went, okay. And we've talked to other ones who have said, I want to build continuous monitoring, but I want to keep it in-house with internal audit. And I said, okay. And so there's some that go, hey, we can, we definitely cannot hand it over to them. There's independence issues. We can't do that. And so that's some CAE's um, perspective. And if that's what it is, then that's what it is. I tend to disagree. I think if we build something, then we can certainly hand it over to them. There should be a process in place to do that within the tool itself. There should be uh, comments within there stating that we no longer own that tool. Audit doesn't. We're not going to support that tool. It is a management tool. I like to also get some form of sign-off on that also, whether that's an email that you send and they reply back and go, yep, we fully understand that. Um, as well as something that's written on a piece of paper that they sign or DocuSign, um, stating that also. I think having that is kind of a silver bullet in terms of, nope, like we all agreed, it's not ours, it's yours, you take it over. What some other teams have done have built these tools themselves and then work with, if you have these resources or in this scenario, where you work with management and they have someone on their team basically replicate the functionality but they have built it themselves either in tools they're more familiar with or that they happen to be more familiar with the tool that you built it in or the internal audit built it in doing that and so that way it is truly them owning it and you're just kind of walking them through and providing guidance on how you built it so ultimately it's a judgment call but it can be difficult to try to put in controls or processes to help support the judgment that you make on that. And so hopefully there's there's a few things that we sprinkled in on that last question that you can go, okay, well, that makes a little bit more sense. Historically, we haven't just handed it over, but with the, that in mind, uh, we could start to do that or at least think about it and have some, some controls in place for that. So with that said, uh, it was a great conference. There was a ton of really good speakers, a lot of great takeaways. Um, for those that have sent feedback, unsolicited feedback, I really appreciate it. 
We have every intention of doing it next year. So this was less than a week ago, and we have seven people that volunteered to speak at next year's conference. And so it feels like we are definitely going to have it again. So if you want to, go ahead and just block off the entire fall of 2024 and um, plan for two days of the audit analytics conference. And we'll certainly make sure to let every all the listeners know as soon as possible when we have those dates. And so you can block off the actual days. All right. With that said, thank you all very much for listening to me. Hey, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere. So please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from The Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.